Hello, I'm Diana Green, the Bard of Hudson, and welcome to season two. More stories, more connections, more adventures. Happily divorced and parenting two amazing humans, I set out to discover why this life is worth living and what the heck I was meant to do with the time that was given to me. My hope is to remind you, inspire you, and connect with you here and in person. And to that end, please, please share, rate, and review wherever you're listening to the podcast and join my Patreon. You can find me at patreon.com slash Bard. In the end, human connection is all we have. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Bard of Hudson. I am so happy to be here with you guys, but I also have some interesting news. We'll get to that in a second. And I'm sorry that this episode is very late. I had a really crazy weekend. Something crazy happened to somebody that I was working with. So I was running a yard sale for an elderly friend who was the mom of somebody that I played with way back when I was like six and seven. I've known this woman most of my life just as somebody I encounter in the neighborhood and such. And she recently listed her house for sale with my very good friend who's a realtor. And so my friend asked if I would help her to pack up her things and organize her move and all of that stuff. And I was like, sure, absolutely. What's happening? Doesn't she have family and such around? But it turns out that she's actually going to move across the country to be close to her daughter. So her daughter is not here, the the child that I used to play with way back in the day. So I agreed to help her. And our very first goal was to run this yard sale so that she could get rid of a bunch of stuff that she wasn't going to be taking with her. And it's been stressful for her. And we started the yard sale on Saturday morning. And then in the middle of the yard sale, maybe a couple of hours into it, this poor lady had a stroke. She had a stroke and she was completely agitated, breathing very heavy, and and walking around her, pacing around her downstairs floor and very upset and, and starting to babble these long words that I had never heard before, these multisyllabic words. And it was so shocking and scary. I've never experienced anything like that. So I was really thrown for quite a while and poor lady, she went off to the hospital. Luckily, the hospital was just a few blocks from her house, first of all. And second of all, because she lives in Nyack, the lovely fellows who came to pick her up in the ambulance were local Nyack people. And one of them knew her and had known her for a long time and knew her son and had his phone number where nobody else at the yard sale, friends and such who were all there, had any phone numbers for her children. And this guy, the ambulance driver, did. So that was an amazing thing and a lucky thing to be part of a community like that where people could just take care of each other in unexpected ways. And I loved that. That was amazing. So that was by way of a long apology for not being on time with this. I, I don't know. I was discombobulated the rest of the weekend. Yeah, it was crazy. So here I am and it's Monday and it's evening and the sun is going low on the horizon, and it's beautiful outside, 
and luckily not quite boiling hot as it was at the beginning of last week. Oh my goodness, 90 degrees in April. That was insane. So on to my next piece of news, which is that I am working on developing a whole new podcast. And it's going to be about women my age. And it's going to be more of an interview format. So I'm tentatively calling it 60-something, because remember that show back in the day called 30-something? When I was 30-something, I used to watch that show. So 60-something, and I'm going to interview women my age and talk to them about the advent of this decade of being in their 60s. And it's also a fascinating group because, first of all, they're definitely underrepresented. Nobody's talking about that. Nobody talks about menopause. Nobody talks about the issues of women in our age group. So I think it's going to be very interesting. And I want to interview people. So if you'd like to be interviewed, please let me know. That would be really cool. But I also want to talk about what it's like preparing to sort of turn this corner and what they're anticipating in terms of, quote, retirement. Because this is the first major group of women who are going to be retiring from the workforce. This generation of women were the first who kind of went wholeheartedly into the workforce back in the day. And so this will be a very big learning curve for so many of us. And what are we going to do with that time? And what do we think of when we consider our own retirement, whatever that means to us. So this will be interesting, and I hope that you'll follow that, and I will let you all know about that. But that said, I am therefore going to bring the Bard of Hudson to a close after the next episode. And I'm very sorry to leave you all, but I'm going to give you a good story about Namibia today, and then I'm going to give you a a very fun story next episode about my crazy dating life and the play that I wrote about that. So I hope that you'll enjoy those last couple of episodes. And I thank you, thank you, as always, for taking this ride with me. Those of you who've stuck in here for 280 some odd episodes. It's an amazing, amazing journey. So here's the second part of my Africa story. And we're on to Namibia. And I remember how well I thought the kids did on this trip. It was incredible because they were dealing with so many unknowns, so many different customs. Savannah was at the age where she had just gotten her period and she was navigating peeing in the bushes and figuring out how to deal with her various accoutrements for that event. So it was a huge impossibility for her in some ways, and she dealt with it really, really well. And then Dakota and Aiden, who were both people who were a little bit picky about their food, they were figuring out how to eat in a country where they couldn't have their normal food. And they were doing really, really well with that. So I was really proud of the kids, you know, in general, as to how they took this. So we went from Botswana, where we had these two wonderful guides, and we took a plane ride over the countryside and over to Namibia, which was a coastal land where we had been inland before. 
And on the way, Samantha showed me a journal entry that she wrote in which she said that she left a piece of her heart behind in Botswana, and she hoped that the people she left it with would take care of it so that she could return for it someday. I thought that was an extraordinary way to express how much she appreciated that experience. So there we were, flying over a very different countryside. It was arid, it was dried up, we could see riverbeds that no longer had rivers in them. We crisscrossed the land and we noticed that it was much more mountainous, whereas Moremi had been fairly flat. We went first to the skeleton coast in Namibia, and the landscape reminded me of Star Wars and sundown on Tatooine. You know, those kind of arid, dune-looking landscapes. And the first place that our guides took us was up to this flat dune area where they had us play a game where they told us to take oryx turds, yes, I said turds, into our mouth and see who could spit them the farthest. And we looked at them like, really? But they insisted that this was a game that everybody played there. And so we were like, oh, okay. And we tried it. And these are, you know, grass-eating creatures. So there wasn't anything like dead and scary and gross in there. But I think they were having a bit of a laugh <laughs> at our expense. But we played the game and we had a bit of a drink, you know, and it was fun. And it was a fun introduction to Namibia. The next morning, we were awakened in our tents with a delivery of coffee and tea. And it was so fun, lovely. This is the country where we learned to love rooibos tea, actually. We had never had it before. That first day, as we drove through the landscape, we started to notice all the many different ways in which this country, although it was still part of Southern Africa, was very different. The elephants looked very different there in Namibia. They were much smaller and brown and, you know, reflected the colors of the sand. We saw black-backed jackals, which were much larger than the other jackals that we had seen in Botswana. We saw five or six of them quite close, so they weren't as shy as the other ones. We noticed the ways that little bushes were covered in moisture, and we understood that it this was one of the ways that made it possible for the animals to survive here. Nice little cool morning drink to last you the rest of the day. We saw some interesting flora and fauna that we had not seen at all in Botswana, like a bleached rainbow dollar bush. We saw oryx everywhere. Beautiful memories of oryx walking slowly through the mist-covered morning and such. At one point, we were driving down a long, endless track in the middle of nowhere, and we couldn't really even understand how the driver knew where to go because there didn't seem to be any landmarks. And suddenly, we came upon what our guide Linus called a desert speed bump. <laughs> it was a small dune that had collected behind a little bush, and we bumped over it. It was very funny. We then came upon some dunes that were really quite impressive, huge rolling dunes, and we stopped there where we could walk around on them a bit. The kids raced down one and then tried walking back up one and the sand was really deep and it was funny. And then we were with another car full of a Swiss family and the Swiss kids started rolling down a really steep 
Dune and our kids then followed suit and they got completely smeared with sand. But when it came to leaving that dunescape, it was an incredible thrill because the cars, without telling us, took a, a sharp turn and headed straight down one of the steep embankments. The car with the Swiss family in it went first and when they got to the bottom, they they told us, wait, 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 because they really wanted to take a photo of our car coming over the edge. And so we stopped with our car with the front wheels over the edge of the dune. And it only gave us enough time to become really quite terrified, I must say. It was like that first drop on a roller coaster. But we got some great dramatic pictures. After much driving, we arrived at the beach, the actual skeleton coastline. The surf was really rough, but the dunes were beautiful. We collected these gorgeous, smooth white stones and purple clamshells, and mom went swimming, of course. She had to. The rest of us were a little nervous because it looked quite rough. We had a wonderful copious spread of lunch complete with wine glasses right there on the beach and camp chairs and such. And then... We went a little bit further south to visit a seal colony where there were 30,000 seals. On the way there, I had an expectation that the din was going to be tremendous, but it actually wasn't too bad. However, the smell was horrendous. Oh, it was so disgusting. It just smelled like absolute rotting fish everywhere. Oh. It was really gross. So we were, you know, holding our noses and covering our faces with our shirts and just really suffering in that way. But we saw one little seal who appeared to be sleeping and had been left behind by the others who retreated at our approach. We crept toward him as quietly as we could, and we were taking photos the whole time. And the closer we got, we started to worry that he was actually dead. And so we came up to him and we formed a circle around him as the guide was telling us some very quiet things about him. And just then the little seal woke with a terrified start and he flopped confusedly in all directions, scaring us out of our wits before he was bounding off towards the surf. And it was really funny because later Savannah told the story, and well, Dakota told the story, where as soon as the seal woke up, it started charging straight for Savannah, and she took Dakota and threw him in front of herself to protect herself. It was completely instinctual, and he was like, oh, wow, I see. Sacrifice your brother. Uh-huh. I get it. <laughs> so it was very funny. But I was glad he wasn't dead. So that was good. The next day was July 12th, and the list of animals that we saw that day were oryx, springbok, giraffes, ostriches, and then there was a film crew that was shooting a film with Wesley Snipes, so that was kind of fun. We climbed a large leadwood tree, and our guide showed us the tracks of a chameleon in the sand. He's an incredible game spotter. We saw Hartman's Mountain Zebras, which have no stripes underneath them, so their belly is all white. And we also went and visited the Himba people. And that was really cool. And I'll tell you about that a little bit more in a moment. We saw rock hyrax, mountain ground squirrels, many, many baboons, a three-banded plover, 
a red-eyed bulbul, and two bull elephants who were having a mock fight. You know, it looked like it was dangerous, but the guide was like, no, no, they're just practicing. And then we saw 32 ostriches running a race. It was incredible to watch them tearing off across the dunes with their feathers way up in the air and, you know, looking like this feathered boa or something that was stretching across the sand. It was fun. So the village of the Himba people was quite a highlight of that day. It was a tiny gathering of a few very Spartan-looking huts. The camp we were staying at had a very good relationship with this little village, so we were told that we could take pictures and see everything. And the only rule was that we could not walk between the sacred fire and the cattle enclosure. That was interesting. There was a circle of blankets in the center where later we got to look at some of the crafts that the people had made and we got to buy some. And then we were able to go into one of their huts and it was an amazing structure of tightly woven sticks with cow pies plastered on the outside. It was remarkably cool inside, even though the sun was blazing. And there were things hanging up just inside the walls, all over, you know, very organized and such. I saw some store-made blankets and a backpack, but mostly it was things that the people had made. Linus said that a hut that size, about eight foot in diameter, slept five or six people with the fire in front by the door to keep the hyenas out. The women who inhabited that hut stood to the sides of the door as they allowed us to have a peek inside. They were covered in red ochre, just like the Samburu people that I had seen back in 1985. And the women even shied away from shaking hands with us because they didn't want to spread the color to us. But I liked it, and I shook their hands and smiled, and they were very lovely. We gave the children Jolly Ranchers. Now, present day note, I know that that's not a good thing because sugar is terrible for their teeth, but this is what we were told to do, share sweets with the children that they would like it. So first, Savannah gave one to a child that was wrapped and he put the whole thing in his mouth. And after that, we unwrapped them and handed it to them. When the first boy got one, the others came flocking and our kids were quite amazed by the whole thing. Half naked children coming up to them half-naked women shaking their hands. I think it left a big impression. We looked at all the crafts that they had made. There were necklaces and carved figurines, and each of the kids picked out a necklace and a bracelet. I also found a curved wooden jackal for little Zoe, and that was very cute. Then we started to head out, and then I remembered one of Savannah's favorite toys that I had made her when she was a baby, which was to take an empty film canister and fill it up with rice as a rattle. So I found I might share this idea with some of these kids, and I made one from the film canisters in my pocket and filled it up with little stones and gave it to the nearest kid, and they loved it. They thought that was fun. We learned a wonderful story about the Himba. They have a tradition when a woman wants to have a child, she goes off into the woods and she listens and she meditates and a song comes to her, and it is the song of the baby that she's going to have. She learns the song, and then she returns to the village singing the song, and she teaches it to everyone in the village, and they learn the song of this baby and the name of the baby. And then when the baby is born, the whole village stands around, and they sing the song to welcome the baby. 
I love that. And then when the person dies, the whole village stands around and sings their name song. Oh, it's so sweet. What a beautiful, beautiful tradition. Everyone in the village knows everybody's song, special song. That's so lovely. So we really love the Himba people. July 13th. Here we are setting off down another seemingly endless desert road again to go dune riding and explore an oasis. It would be very cool to see a cheetah since that's one of the last animals we haven't seen. We will also be visiting the grave of a tugboat captain who was one of those who came to the rescue during the shipwreck of a ship called the Dunedin Star. It is one of the most famous wrecks here because it took 24 days to rescue all the passengers, but they saved them all. Only two people died, and those were people who had come to the rescue. One cool thing about all of this sand is that we do see a lot of tracks, so we're able to know what kind of animals we might want to be looking out for. Last night at dinner, and then again as we were going to sleep, we heard jackals calling short, sharp yips and barks, and then some high-pitched howling. It was beautiful. I was glad that the big silent void left by the absence of hippo calls was filled by something. But there is a lingering sense of nostalgia in this group for the charms of Botswana. It was just such a wonderful experience all around, topped with two such impressive personalities, Rob and Glynn, that we have a hard time accepting substitutes. Linus is a quirky fellow and fun in his own way, though not the same. One day, at the edge of a river, he came to a quick stop and he jumped out of the door saying, I gotta catch that guy! And he went off to climb the dune. And we were like, where is he going? Then he came back with a tiny iridescent lizard in his hands. It was a shovel-snouted lizard with pearly scales and lovely soft skin. It tried to bite Linus on his fingers, but he ignored it. And when he put it down, it immediately scampered a few steps and burrowed onto the sand. We unearthed it a few times just to watch it repeat the process, but it finally got tired of us and ran much farther away. Finally, it was time to leave Africa, and we were all very sad to be finished with this incredible trip. Except I do remember that when we got on the plane, Aiden said, well, did that. Don't need to do that again. <laughs> I was like, really? Oh my God, I would so come back here in a second. Although I would have done it maybe in reverse order because Namibia was fun and beautiful, but Botswana blew it away. And so I would have loved to start our trip in Namibia and be awestruck by the animals that we saw there and then really get the full effect of Africa by going to Botswana last. The other thing about going to Namibia last is that our suitcases and our clothing and everything we owned was completely full of sand. I remember arriving in Italy at our home in Italy and dumping out our backpacks and there being just piles of sand on the floor. And the lady who cleans the house was quite grumpy and like, what are you doing? What did you bring? Half of Africa with you for goodness sake. <laughs> so and that was funny. It was a fantastic opportunity and an incredible adventure that we all shared and that we still talk about to this day. So I'm very blessed, very blessed to have had all these adventures and I'm happy to share them with you and I'll see you next time.
for our very last episode, and that's okay. More things to come. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please reach out with your thoughts and your comments. You can find me on Instagram at Diana the Bard or Facebook at Diana Green or on my website, bardofhudson.com, where you can listen to the podcast directly from there or leave comments. I would love to hear from you. And please check out my Patreon page for photos and videos and extra goodies that I don't share anywhere else. And wherever you're listening, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. It makes a huge difference and it helps other people to find the show. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye.